You know what we've been talking about the last few weeks, those of you who've been here? Nobody knows what we've been talking about. Started at Easter with the resurrection and then we started going through Acts to talk about the impact of the resurrection and Jesus rising from the dead on these people that had spent time with him trying to make it relevant to our lives by saying that those people went through huge disillusionment, huge mental sort of somersaults to try and make sense of something they had never seen, heard of or experienced before, which was the resurrection. Which is why when we, we face some things like, whether it's healing or um, talking about God raising people from the dead, we go, it's impossible. And it's only impossible in the frame of reference we have. And so, you know, one of the ways I try and tackle this is, is saying, you know, 200 years ago, driving a car would be impossible. Flying an airplane would be impossible. Using a cell phone would be impossible. Talking to somebody in England would be impossible. Um, healing people from uh, diseases would be impossible medically. There are many, many, many things that we regard as normal today that would be totally, totally beyond the realm of imagination 200 years ago. And that just helps me have humility to realize that there's so much I don't know, so much... We haven't got hold of yet. And so what was happening with those guys at, at the beginning of Acts is that they're, they're cr- trying to come to grips with something that is unbelievable. And I don't know whether you've settled that for yourself yet. Where, you know, God is unbelievable. So instead of just going, I don't believe it, what if you were a little child and, you go d- and, and your approach is, Dad, how did you do that? You know, what if it's the little child that is in awe of the parent? Like, how did you do that? And the relationship between a little child and a father, and I'm talking about a healthy relationship here, is not one of understanding. It's one of security and assurance and safety. The child does not understand the ways of the parents for years. That's why it's usually in the teenage years they suddenly realize their parents aren't actually perfect. And then all hell breaks loose. They start challenging you. I could talk about Michelle now. My daughter's here but I won't because I said I wouldn't. <laughs> but, you know, you suddenly go, who are you? And, and you, you have a whole other dynamic going on. And the same is true with God. And God has that amazing ability to say, you can speak to me. You can actually challenge me. I'm not threatened by you and I'm not upset by you. In fact, the more you challenge me out of a place of curiosity or even rebellion and despair, the more I'll actually work to bring healing to you. Because you know God isn't actually upset with you. He doesn't actually find you difficult. He doesn't scratch his head and call your name and say, I don't know what to do, get the angels around. I don't know what to do with them. They kind of go, we've seen this many times before. They don't think I'm good. They don't think I love them. They don't think I care. Because they look around and they see all these things happening and they don't believe that I exist because I'm letting this happen. And the only thing they don't look at is the fact that they they want to do their own thing but they don't want to take responsibility and I'm not even angry about that I'm just saying I long that you come to me because now I mean have you ever had this experience if you know what to do and you know where you're going and you're 12 years old and you want to leave home and you know who was it Mark Twain who said I'm amazed how people grow between the ages of I think it's 18 and 20 or 16 and 20 when you're 16 you know everything and when you no when, when you're 16 what is it when you're 16 you wonder how stupid your parents can be and when you're 20 you wonder how they know so much. I don't know, but it's, it's, it's just that whole perspective changing. I didn't prepare that one, obviously. So you have this, this Peter, and, and I've talked about this every week, how, how Simon Peter goes from this man who's weak and afraid to this man who's standing up and saying, 
um, Jesus is Lord and you can lock me up. And he goes from this fear to boldness. And the other disciples, 11 others who ran away, go from a place of fear as well to boldness, of doubt to assurance. And you go, well, what's the big deal about God and Jesus rising from the dead? I mean, it's a big deal. And you go, you know, everybody's looking for purpose in life. Everybody here is looking for purpose in life. One of the reasons you give up is because when you get hopeless, hopelessness is a killer. Underneath all depression is a sense of hopelessness, a sense of lack of being understood, a sense of there's no, there's no point because everyone wants a point to living. And so you look for a point and you'll find a point. I mean, in the end, the lowest point of living is an, an addict looking for the next high. That's kind of despairing living at the lowest point. I'm not judging, I'm merely just saying it's the sad level of just survival and that's the only thing. And there are lots of examples you could give of that. And, and some, you know, sometimes we talk about it, it's when you're suffering that you reach out to God and so people say, well, that's just a crutch because you're suffering and you've got nowhere else to go. And as Bear Gillis said there, well, a crutch is helpful. But from God's perspective, suffering is one of those places where human beings' ego is shattered. He doesn't, he, God never causes suffering to teach us anything. Suffering happens and we learn or we don't. Suffering happens at that point where now what do I do? And human beings have this deep cry because God's DNA is in us whether we like it or not. And his DNA is in us to the degree of we seek after love and we seek after purpose and we seek after fairness and justice. These disciples... <laughs> In the middle of their crisis, they were also discovering the reality of a God. Because if God is real and he does rise from the dead and he does live in me, it changes everything. It changes my perspective on life. It changes my perspective on, my, on, on why I do things. And so it becomes a, a revelation of a life that takes on a whole new meaning. And that's what the disciples were, were, were wrestling with. And that's what they were trying to make sense of and so Peter and John when they what, what was happening you see you have the open tomb and you have Jesus re appearing to more than 500 people saying I know this is unbelievable I know you weren't expecting this I told you about it but you have no paradigm so you don't understand it that's why Alpha is important Alpha actually helps people get paradigms it starts having conversations with people to say take your, your attitude right now take it to its logical conclusion and what are you left with Think through things. I don't believe in God. I think he's terrible. All right, let's unpack that. Tell me about the God you don't believe. Well, he hurts children. Where do you get that from? And it's about just have a look at what you're believing because everyone lives by faith. And the cry of every heart, I mean, if God is good, why wouldn't people believe in him? Can you sit down, please? If God is good, why wouldn't you believe in him? Any ideas? That is a question I'm asking you now. Just shout it out. Why, I mean, why wouldn't you believe in God if he's good and he's kind? Doubt and fear? Doubt that it's true for you? Doubt that it's true? Anything else? Accountability? What does that mean? He's going to tell me what to do? If I give him everything, he's going to wreck my life? That's my testimony. Yeah, absolutely. He's a killjoy. He can't be good and a killjoy, but never mind. That's part of wrestling. Why, is, why, aren't, why doesn't everybody believe in God if he's so good and he's so kind and he's so true and he's so powerful? They think they see things about God that's not good. They draw conclusions from the circumstances and they is us, by the way. I don't believe in us and them and I know Audrey's not saying that. There's an element of, 
we're all working these things out. And how many of us have thought we believed something and then something happens in our lives and we go, I don't think that's true. I mean, Fred was talking about that. I've talked about that. So you have to rediscover it again. And that's one of the things we want to sort of um, wrestle with as a church too, an authentic relationship with Jesus that is willing to, re- is re- willing to wrestle. Um, you know, you can have all the thoughts in the, in, in, in the world, but at the end of the day, it's how's it working. And so that's what these disciples were doing. They're no different from us. And what helped them the most was that they, had, they saw something, they saw the risen Jesus. It was unbelievable, but, but they experienced something and then he poured out his spirit. And his spirit means the presence of Jesus living in a human being as if he were alive. And that's mystery. Until you take a flashlight and go, it needs an energizer bunny, uh, you know, it, it needs a battery to make it go and God's really saying before Jesus you were trying to do it this way after Jesus the batteries were released the power was released released to be able to do things that you couldn't do before and so the disciples when Simon and Peter they, they had gone up the temple many 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 times and they'd never seen this blind this cripple and they go up after they've been filled with the spirit and they go up doing what they normally did but this time they saw somebody in need and they said we actually can do something And I don't know how they got to that point. Maybe the Spirit of God in them prompted them and said, tell him to walk. Maybe they had a word of knowledge. They go, what was that? John, did you? Yeah, I have this thing. Maybe maybe there was a lot of mess around that moment rather than just, oh, they walked up and said, in the name of Jesus, get up and walk. Maybe they stood in the corner and said, John, I had this funny feeling we should say to that guy, get up and walk, but I've never done that. I wish Jesus was here. He's in you. Oh, so what do we do? I don't know. Let's go and talk to him. You see, I think they're much more like we are than we believe. And to me, it's much more encouraging to, to reflect on that. Because then I go, well, if it works for Peter, and Peter wasn't the greatest, sharpest nut bolt in the box. Uh, there's hope for me. Uh, um, how are you? What's wrong? Well, you know he hasn't walked ever. Can you give me some money? No. Don't have any. Jesus, we just pray blessing on our brother. Have a nice day. That's kind of what we've draw- we grow up with, but we might not even stop. We'd go back and say, nobody stops for that guy. You go, well, why didn't you? It's the reason nobody stops. And then they say, silver and gold I don't have. In the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. And he takes his hand. And I bet you it was like walking out on the boat. I bet you as he took his hand, he go, what are you doing? But he's, you know, Peter, like I'm in it now. And the guy walks. And I, probably Peter nearly went crippled. and went, my word, what happened? And God was encouraging them, I believe, just as much. In fact, maybe, and I've never thought of this before until now, maybe as Peter rose that cripple up and he walked, God rose up in Peter a crippled faith to believe, to believe what he didn't know was possible. And out of that they began to speak and they began to speak much more eloquently than they would have ever imagined and saying, this is what God has done. And they were locked up for it and then they come back remember last week and they come to the the house where they went to their people and they told them what had happened they had been told to keep quiet and they said no we can't we've got to speak what we've seen and heard they were terribly politically incorrect it'll offend the Muslims it'll offend these people it'll offend these people we cannot but speak of what we've seen and heard we're not attacking them we're just speaking about what we've seen and heard and the the religious people had never seen anything like it because they worshipped a God who was dead God was under our control and this is what he's done and these guys are walking around a bit like Tammy described, well, she didn't say it the right way. And I mean, goodness me, what happened? And that's what they were thinking. These are just people, they don't belong to our tribe. They, don't even, they haven't gone through our education system. They, we haven't authorized them. And yet they 
And there's a guy standing next to them and he's jumping up and down saying he healed them. It wasn't in the syllabus. And so they're totally, everybody's wrestling with this. And Peter goes back, they go back to the, 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 their, their people and they talk about what has happened and they said, these guys threatened us, they told us not to speak, we said we had to. And instead of hunkering down, they, they pray that prayer. You are the God who did this and you are the God that did that. Stretch out your mighty hand, bring it on, let's have more signs and wonders. What are signs and wonders? God's compassion and love reaching out to people who are in need and restoring them. The reason why everybody doesn't believe that God is good is because they haven't experienced it. And the reason why they haven't experienced it is that so many of us who say we believe that he is good are actually miserable and unkind to people. Mia culpa. You could ask Peter, are you miserable and unkind or are you nice? When I look at you, do I experience Jesus' presence? Go, there must be a God, I've met you. I know you don't say that about me, but maybe you could help me out. I can teach you and you can do it. But that's really what we're all hungry for, aren't we? We're hungry for an expression of the love of God that meets us where we are and says, in the name of Jesus, get up and walk, or I'll walk alongside you, or whatever. See, the theme today is that next passage, because in those first few chapters, you have this uh, sort of, the church has argued about these chapters for 2,000 years. I don't believe in healing. I don't believe God poured out his spirit. I don't believe you should speak in tongues. I mean, everything that happened in the first three chapters of Acts is disputed amongst the church, basically because it's a little too freaky and weird. So we do say things like, we believe uh, that God created the world. It's weird though. You go, why didn't he not create it then after the resurrection when the Holy Spirit was not apparently working anywhere? Why didn't the world just collapse? We believe God created the world and everything in the world and dinosaurs and and all that stuff and then you have the argument about evolution and you go on and on and on about that. You'll never ever, I want to set you free right now, you will never ever hear me teaching on evolution. I couldn't care less. Why? Because I don't know. I think God is the big banger. He started it all and he'll end it all. I'll also never talk about the end times. And I'll never talk about the end times and interpretations of revelation. I think it's incredibly boring and totally full of speculation. And I haven't got a clue what they're either about. The beginning or the end, I don't have a clue. Jesus, the Alpha and the Omega? Yeah, I do know that. So that's my evolution and end times talk right there. That was quite cool, wasn't it? I I wasn't expecting that. Because it's just like, who cares? Are you turning me off now, Sean? <laughs> oh my. So, they, we have all this, I, I don't speak in, I'm setting you up now, I don't speak in tongues, I don't believe this, I don't believe that. And then, would you know it, he, he sticks in this passage that they shared all their possessions. I go, oh, you don't believe that either. Listen to what he says. He says, All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own. They shared everything they had and with great power the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. And from time to time those who owned land or houses sold them through the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet distributed to anyone who had a need. Wasn't that cool? Yeah. When the Holy Spirit came upon people and began to work with them, what he began to release was the character of God in those people. What we've done 
is spiritualize a lot of things. So to be a committed Christian means coming to church. I believe that's part of a commitment because it's like being married. You should go home, you know. And coming to church is about gathering together to encourage one another and to do what we're doing. We do it badly sometimes. We do it better at other times. But we try, like a marriage, like a family. But when the Holy Spirit comes into you and me, it's, it's like embryonic. Everything God does starts from seed and grows. You know that, don't you? The principle. So some of you say, God, I want more patience. Will you get a seed of patience, which will be a circumstance that demands it? It's really easy to have patience with when there's nothing to be patient about. I'm just waiting in the sunshine with my martini. Wow, that's powerful. And so there's this, this you know, everything God wants to do in you is going to be surrounded by circumstances that contradict it. You know that, don't you? So you're not letting your circumstances get you down anymore because they are the seedbed out of which God grows the things you asked him to grow. Right? Not? So stop praying for God to kill the person you're struggling with. Start praying, thank you, Lord, that you teach me how to love them anyway. I'm learning to be content in all circumstances. Well, why are you complaining? Well, I don't like the circumstance. Please take the circumstance away. Circumstance will go when you've learned the lesson. Oh, shoot. This could take a while. That's how God works. That's deeply spiritual. So these disciples are now embryonically filled with the Spirit. God is breathing out through them as if Jesus was present. Sometimes they look good. Sometimes they don't look good. In this moment, they're looking quite good. I think there might be a misunderstanding going on in this early church too. They also said, they remembered, you remember Jesus said he's coming back again? They, many of them probably thought he was coming back in their own lifetime, so I don't need my house. There might have been that crossover. But even if 60% was true, it's still amazing. You see, one of the things that I think the world needs and one of the p- things, ways people would really see that uh, God is good is by our generosity. And I think, by and large, we are a pretty mean, tight-fisted bunch. Would you agree? I'm just teasing you now, because of course not you, but me. Um, if we talk about money, it's like talking about sex. It just goes real quiet. What are we going to say now? I'd like you to put your to pass around the plate. We're going to take everything you've got on you is going to be offered to the Lord. I just want to see if you can do it. Now you're going quiet because you think I'm serious. Money has power. Money is just a telltale sign of our addiction. Money is, some of you are breathing a sigh of relief. Well, I wasn't really joking. It's going to happen in a minute. No, I am joking. But there's, just see what it does in you. You know, all the spiritual stuff, Jesus is my security. He looks over me. He will look after me. Well, empty your pockets right now. And let's give a mystery guest everything we could collect today and see what happens. What would that be like? Extraordinary generosity. The most generous church I've ever worked in has been in Cape Town amongst the poorest people. Um, and what I'm, what I'm wanting to sort of wrap this thing up in the next 10 minutes about, it's got nothing to do with guilt. It's got to do with learning the character of God. And the character of God is extraordinarily generous. Let's just have... A, there were two uh, little experiments done in marketplaces... Um, you might have seen one of these, but I'll show it to you anyway. Um, I think it speaks for itself. So let's just, uh, what the guys are going to do, they're going to go, no, I'll shut up. I think that captures what Jesus is really trying to say to us. We have a life by what we give, not by what we get. I don't think that was staged. I think actually they did one in Denmark. And the same thing is true. The poor have a, why do you think that is? Because I don't, you know, 
poor people have got sinful lives. They, they know better or worse than us. It's not romantic. In some ways, yes. I think, I think poor people know how to ask, they know how to receive, and they know how to give because they have nothing. And we have so much to guard. I mean, they've built, you drive to my place, they've got storage units everywhere. We have so much, we, we've got to pay, pay freight to keep it in storage. And yet somehow we have this problem in releasing everything. Or you're very lucky if I give it to you because I'm not sure I trust you. You might misuse it. Have you ever done that? They might misuse it. And you want to look in the mirror and say, excuse me, I'm God. To misuse what you've been given? Let me talk to you. Let me talk to you about what you spend your money on. Let me spoke, talk to you about how you spend your time. Let me talk to you about how I have... There's a, there's a phrase in the Bible that talks about give and it'll be given back to you. How will it be given back to you? Item by item? Good measure, flowing over. It is amazing. You, look at the, you want to know what the character of God is? The character of God is lavish. God created apple trees and grapes. Just enough. Be very serious. I'm talking nonsense. What, is, what do fruit trees look like? There's way too much fruit. It falls on the ground. The bears eat it. We throw it away. Why? Because it's too much. It's how God works. Too much. Lavished upon you. Life lavished upon you. When you know who you are and when you begin to understand how you've misappropriated what God has given because either I deny Him or either I just take it for granted, when you get a revelation of His love, His generosity, His kindness, His goodness, without Jesus we're all homeless. We don't even know it necessarily. But when you, when you come to that revelation, that's what was happening with the, these disciples. Things change inside. You've got to come to a place where nothing else matters. When I first said yes to the Lord to do ministry, um, I wasn't going into, and I'm not, please, I'm not putting myself up on a pedestal. I'm just sharing a life experience. Goodness me, I've failed so many times. You know, you hear more about that. So, but I remember in Cape Town, I was 17 and I was at a youth group thing and we were doing a little communion thing and, and I, for some reason, was doing it. And I remember feeling in my spirit, there's nothing more worthwhile than touching this place with people. Nothing. And I went and looked, explored business opportunities and I told you I went to this advertising agency and I was going to do advertising because I liked the working with people and the creative side. But the, the product was whiskey and Rossmann's cigarettes. And I couldn't wrap my head around making money by seducing people and being an evangelist for whiskey and cigarettes. And then I eventually said yes to Jesus to serve him in a church that I didn't think I'd really fit. And I went through all this submitting to everybody and, and then when they had said yes virtually somebody said I think you should go to England I think you should go to Oxford I had no money but I had said Lord here I am it's easy to say that when you don't have anything anyway but I did and when I went to Oxford God just said I told you you could trust me and I'll actually be much much nicer than you've ever experienced and so in three years I went to England I went around Europe I went, came to, the, to Canada for the first time past Terry Fox, went down right around and I had nothing. I was given some stuff. Then I went back to South Africa because it was, it was obedient to do and then we came over here. After my crash and burn, I sat over in Parksville and, and I sensed God's, you know, I was saying how do I get back? Because at the end of the day I did seven years of business consulting and it was, working for money isn't my kick. First of all I'm rude to the boss and I get fired which happened twice. 
And it's not because I'm arrogant. It's just like you're a jerk. And I can't sell my soul to you. And I try to, but it doesn't work. It's awful. I know it's hard to believe. but <laughs> So I got sort of penniless about three times. You know, it's my, always my fault. Um, and I think God was just quietly saying, let me know when you're ready. Because I wasn't for a while. I said, I'll do it my way. I'll make some more money. I'm not going to go into ministry. Everybody tells you what to do. They're never happy with you. You don't make much money anyway. I'm going to do it my own way. And then maybe you'll see. kind of didn't work. I mean, I wish I'd made a million and then come back and done this. And said, yeah, this is great. The first talk I went back where Graham Cook was talking, he really irritated me because he said, I rebelled against God and I went off and did stuff and he just blessed me and blessed me and blessed me and I was so blessed I couldn't stay away. And I went up to him afterwards and said, good for you. It didn't work like that for me. So he prayed, oh Lord, bring this time of Job to an end. But I sat in my half-built house as it was, Lord, okay, let's go back into ministry because there isn't any other thing I should do. He said, you can have everything. If you want the house, you can have it. You want the car, you can have everything. And that's where I live now and I really mean it. You're going to see a beautiful black rav. I've got to give you a rational for this now. Um, I got a Toyota Corolla because of the mileage I do and the easiest and cheapest way for me to buy a vehicle is to buy it because then I could have monthly payments cause and I do 40,000 a year Ks. So I didn't like the Corolla because it's, it's front wheel drive and it, uh, in the, it doesn't work in the snow and I think we're going to have a snowfall this year. So I went in and said, look, this isn't working and they gave me a really good deal because I've been going there for 30 years and they don't know what to do with a pastor but I don't actually say that but and um, you know Jesus will love you if you give me a nice deal <laughs> so they so they gave me a car that looks like a hearse um, anyway it's a RAV you know RAV4 thing and what was my point of all of this oh I tell you what my point is my point is uh, Fred taught me this my point is if you want to borrow it you can because I don't care I don't care if it gets scratched. I mean, the, the, what's it? The other one I had, the Matrix, you know, some guy after I am second walked on, put a rock through the thing and scratched across on the thing. And then we pretended we had video cameras, so eventually he confessed. <laughs> so, but um, I don't care. In the, and, and what I'm saying by that is you can have stuff, just don't let it own you. Don't let it own you, share it. And you can test me on that one. I'll give you the keys. I really do not care. And Fred was like that. I mean, Fred's got this nice cheap Cherokee and I, I say, can I borrow? Sure you can. When you've experienced the lavish love of God in your own life, nothing else matters. We argue. You think I'm going to talk about generosity, um, about, you know, uh, give a tithe. You're meant to give a tithe to the local church. It's crap. You're meant to give much more than that. That's a rule. That's a rule that comes out of a poverty mindset. You know what you should be saying? You have given me everything. What can I keep? I don't care. Now the irony is God's not about pickpocketers and he's not about exploiting. He actually will spoil you. But ultimately the heart of God and what is so compelling in this thing that the the disciples did. And this is, I think, I don't care actually if you raise your hands in worship. I think you could because it's good exercise. I I think it's good to express yourself. I think it's good that you you know, speak in tongues because what you speak in English often isn't audible anyway or sense, so speak another language. You know, God's help, help, help you out. I'm joking with you, but I'm not really. Just have a sense. God's given you all these things and me all these things because we need them. He says, I do get tired of you whining, so I'll actually speak through you if you just speak in tongues because what you're saying is boring. 
Please God, please God, please God, thank you, thank you, thank you. He says, I'll help you. I'll pray through you if you'll let me. So all of those gifts are important, but the greatest gift, what Paul says, is if you have faith and you have not love, and love looks like something, and love looks like money, time, effort, work, volunteering. That's what it looks like. We have a kitchen that needs to be cleaned. We have halls that need to be cleaned. People come in on Tuesday morning. Some people every week, they're very faithful. There's only a handful. We have a whole property that needs to be looked after. Walter faithfully does the, the lawns. Fred and, and Micron and Reg faithfully are, are working in this place. And I said to Fred, he was doing the, the walls and, and mudding them. I said, let's get some volunteers. He said, people know what they need to do. You know how few people volunteer? I'm just being really real. I'm not getting at you at all. I'm only just saying we have hedges to trim. Yeah, yeah, we can do it. Yeah, well, we can do it. I'll do it. We're busy. What did you do yesterday? We went to the lake. Whew, tough life. You see, the hallmark of Jesus living in us is unselfishness and a servant heart. And you don't have to sell your soul and you don't have to slave away, but there is an element of that. If it's not present, I don't believe Jesus has captured your heart yet. And the way the people saw the power of Jesus amongst those disciples was not only in the healing miracle, it was in the serving miracle. And just as with the healing of, of that cripple, they would say, what do you mean a sacrifice? I love to do this. I love to serve. What can I do to help? That's the hallmark of the Spirit of Jesus in you. And I just, so I'm not talking about money. Money is one component. It's about time. It's about talents. It's about interest. It's about so many things. And so what I want to suggest and ask is, are you generous? Do you have a generous heart? Do you have a generous mindset? And if, there, if you are generous, what's the evidence? Because I'm not going to ask you. I'm going to ask those who know you. No, every time you ask them, they have an excuse. They're always busy. No, they don't even ask you who, how you are. Or they always say, I wish you had told me. Have you ever done that one? When you finished a job and then you tell us, I wish you had told me. We do that, don't we? I pray for the Lord to bring helpers for you. I'm busy, sorry. <laughs> like you're not. It's very quiet. You see, the easy thing to do is just acknowledge we are a selfish bunch. And we are rather self-absorbed. We have all the toys. And then the toys take time. Because you've got to polish them, ride them, build them, clean them, sell them, rebuild them, resell them. I mean, it's a whole lifestyle, isn't it? Do you think you're quite funny with all of this? I think so. We're possessed by our possessions. We're possessed by all kinds of things. And the, the hallmark of God in us is a light touch. Sure, come into my home. I don't care if you muddy the fling too much. Sure, you can have this. Sure, what do you need? We actually are a generous church, but we've just started. We've got a f uh, I'm finishing now. We've got a, I'm generous with time this morning. Um, I'm giving you a lot of words free, generously. I mean, you know. I can see what's in the plate and it's not worth me carrying on. <laughs> we'll take another offering and I can carry on for another hour if you like. Oh boy, there goes Laura. Okay. So much for Bethel. <laughs> no, let's finish this. It's a little bit much, isn't it? We've got to go in to the lake. Let's just ask, why don't you stand up? I mean, let's stand up. Because stand up means let's ask God to do something and it's hard to sit down when everyone else is standing up. Like, are you generous? Just ask your spirit that. Some of you will be hard on yourself. Some of you will not. You know, you know whether you're generous. You know your attitude to your possessions. 
Um, the secret is not working out how much you must, you must give. The secret to generosity is how grateful are you. So, Father, I pray for each of my brothers and sisters here that you give revelation of how you have loved them to this point. You remember the older brother, he was, in the, he was working for his father. The, the prodigal son had come home and he had got this big party and the older brother was so angry. And the father went out and said, let's say his name was Jim. He says, Jim, all I have is yours. For goodness sake, God's sake, chill out and come and meet your brother. And many of us can have that spirit. But God hasn't, God hasn't, God hasn't. And he's standing right next to you saying, yes, I have. You just haven't learned how to see it or receive it. All I have is yours. How have you experienced God's generosity? He hasn't killed you. You deserve it. Because he knows what your secrets are. I don't know what it is. But Father, I pray for a revelation of your goodness and your kindness into our lives thus far. Zacchaeus was a man who he was a little tax collector and he went up a tree to see Jesus. And Jesus, he was the most unpopular guy in town. I mean, everybody thought he was a jerk. He ripped everybody off. He didn't deserve anybody to pay him any attention. And guess what? Jesus looks up and says, Zacchaeus, I'm coming to your house. And everyone else has cleaned their house and said, maybe you'll come to us. And they go, he goes to him. And Zacchaeus didn't expect it. He probably went up the tree so that somebody didn't beat him up. And Jesus comes into his home and, he, and he, he acknowledges him. And that revelation of generosity and kindness caused Zacchaeus to go, I have so missed the boat. I have ripped all these people off. What's his response? I will pay back tenfold what I have stolen. Father, will you release your generosity here in a new dimension for us? You have blessed us beyond measure. Some of us have lots of money in the bank. Some of us have none. But we have the same Father and you know what? He says, I've given you brothers and sisters with lots of money in the bank. 